Welcome to Viewpoint on Construction, our podcast series that offers modern takes on a transforming industry. Beyond the latest construction technologies and best practices, this podcast series looks at the innovative ideas, creative voices, and forward-thinking themes that are shaping our industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 2 of A Viewpoint on Construction. And yes, I am still Wayne Newitz, and we are still here to talk about the leading, most important issues in our industry today, and we are thrilled to begin our second season with Mr. Bryce Austin, principal at TCE Strategy. Bryce has extensive experience in information technology, data security. He served as CIO and CISO, an acronym I just learned, uh, in the rarefied air of the Fortune 100, as well as having led technology teams for smaller startup companies. Now, today, he shares his expertise through his firm, TCE Strategy, and we are very fortunate to have him joining us for our podcast. Bryce, welcome. Thank you so much, Wayne. I appreciate it. No, we appreciate you, sir. So let's just let's just get right into it. We're here today to talk about data security, cybersecurity, a rose by any other name, although I doubt we would call this a, a, a beautiful flower. Uh, but let's, let's all get on the same page here. What, what do we, you, us, what do we mean when we say cybersecurity? What, is that, what should that mean to us? Sure. It's a good question, and it's evolving quickly. 20 years ago, security still mattered in a lot of ways. Our physical security was very important. People could do things like tap our phone or put a bug in our house that could listen in on our conversation. Those things happened, at least in the movies. The problem that we have now, Wayne, is that the Internet has shrunk the world to the head of a pin. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you take a device, any device, be it one of these new Internet of Things smart speakers you put in your home, mm -hmm. be it a new thermostat, be it a new piece of construction equipment, there are people on the Internet that would like to do you harm or steal your money. And they have the ability to do that from countries that we do not have a mutual legal assistance treaty with. So there's almost no chance of repercussions mm -hmm. and they can do it very easily if we don't make the right moves on our end to make us more difficult to hack than the house next door, the business next door. So we're living in an area where we have threats that simply didn't exist a decade or two ago. And it's been a slow adoption for people to understand what these threats are and how to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the slow adoption portion of that. It reminds me of something I'm going to get back to in a moment. But, you know, you mentioned the shrinking of the world. This is often talked about in, in positive ways. And, and I, you know, I, I do think and I think you'd agree with me that it is positive. The Internet is a net positive for us if managed, if managed properly, because <laughs> you mentioned the, the head of the pin. Ain't always angels yeah. dancing on the tip of that <laughs> head of that pin. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, there are. It, it can be a net positive. You know, when I was a kid, we had pen pals because long distance calls were so expensive and you mm -hmm. had to write letters. And no one knows what that is now if you're under 25 years old. Right. Uh, so there are a lot of communication positives. There are a lot of information sharing positives. There are a lot of virtual experience positives. But you can almost be in the same room with someone through technology, even though you're half a world away. Sure. The trouble is the other side of that exact same coin. As an example, I'm here in a conference room in Minneapolis, and there's a lovely window with a great view of the snow coming down outside. Mm -hmm. And it is possible that someone who wanted to do me harm 
could try to throw a rock through that window and hit me with it. Right. I'm not overly concerned because they have to be outside of that window. Or even if we get really nutty with the analogy and say it's a sniper trying to shoot me, well, they still have to be within a half mile or a mile of that window. Mm-hmm. And that takes out 99.99999% of the world. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a big realistic concern. And they have to be close enough to where the odds of them getting caught are also realistic. Well, now let's say I invented a magic bullet where I could be anywhere in the world. I could be on the International Space Station mm-hmm. and I could try to fire it at the target of my choice anywhere else in the world with almost no chance of retribution. And if someone paints a big red target on their back that I can easily find, it makes the shot all that much more easy. Yeah, yeah. That's the downside. And it's where we're living right now with the internet-connected world that we have. So, you know, as we're sharing data in in new ways, sharing much more data, uh, all communications essentially is becoming data, you know, this this pot that we're in is starting to to get warmer. And, you know, the proverbial lobster doesn't always know that it's sitting in a pot of boiling water. So are we in a pot of boiling water here, <laughs> I guess, Bryce? And, and how do we get out of it or turn the, turn the temperature down? And what, what, what are some of the things that you've learned about this? Sure. We absolutely are in the pot of boiling water. And there are a lot of examples of that. Uh, the Equifax breach in 2017, I think, was a good example that affected mm-hmm. all of us. I'm guessing we're going to have a number of listeners that either have been a victim of or know someone that's been a victim of ransomware. Mm-hmm. Ransomware is where a bad guy wants your money. And if you don't have data that they could resell, like healthcare information, like credit card information, like your bank account, if they don't have that, well, they know the data you have is awfully important to you to run your business. Mm-hmm. So they will encrypt it and they will demand money from you to get back the key to unencrypt it. And mm-hmm. that's how ransomware works. Right. Uh, it is a real issue. I have been part of areas where folks have uh, have been forced with difficult decisions of continuing to keep their company shut down mm-hmm. or paying a ransom in excess of $100,000. My goodness. So, yeah, that is one area. The other area, and this is where I think a lot of companies haven't had exposure to this yet in the United, yet in the United States, is that we have nation states. Nation states or other countries, mm-hmm. be it Russia or North Korea or what have you. And not only are they going after different countries, well, that's been going on in some form or fashion for hundreds of years. Right. They're going after the companies that do business with those countries, mm-hmm. or they're going after companies individually. Uh, the best examples that I'm aware of, well, I'll give two very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Sony made the movie about trying to assassinate a current sitting world leader, ah uh, yes, they didn't have the force. Yeah, they didn't have the foresight to think that that might irritate that world leader, <laughs> and that that country might pull after a cyber attack on Sony. Mm-hmm. Well, the generally accepted consensus in cybersecurity communities is that that's exactly what happened. Right. The country went after a company. Imagine if a country tried to go after you physically with guns and bombs and planes. Mm-hmm. We don't have a reasonable defense against that. Right. So making moves that will uh, that will threaten another country is something we should think about. Yeah, and but it's not it's not example, just I'm and sorry, I'm sorry, you no know, no, it's fine. It's not just state actors um, working with other state actors and we can sit back and and watch this unfolding. We are the actors in this play is a yes. point I want to make. 
for companies that were doing business with the Ukraine in 2017, mm -hmm. there were two different applications that you could use to pay your taxes in the Ukraine. You had to use one of the two. Mm -hmm. And one of those got infiltrated, allegedly, by the Russians, and it put out a very, very nasty, destructive virus called NotPetya. And what it did was to take down computer systems at companies that paid taxes in the Ukraine. Oh, boy. And it hit Merck, the big uh, pharmaceutical company. It hit Maersk, the big shipping company. Uh -huh. It hit DLA Piper, the number four law firm in the world. Wow. And estimates range from a billion to $10 billion worth of damage from this. So now that we have nation states going after individual companies, the stakes are much higher. Thankfully, there are things we can do to make our risk far, far lower. We can't reduce it to zero, mm -hmm. but the analogy that I like to use is that if I am a hawk circling the skies, if I see a squirrel that I think I can catch, that's a really good meal. That, yeah. That's good eating. Yeah. Well, a porcupine is also a really nice meal, but you have to go through a whole lot more to get to the meat. <laughs> and I want to encourage our listeners to think of themselves as how do they turn their company into a little bit more of a porcupine right. than the company next door. Because yeah. for 99% of us, that's all it takes to be secure enough. Well, you know, the old joke, uh, I don't have to run uh, faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you, right? Uh, so if the bear is chasing us, I mean, you, you don't want to be the softest or a soft target in this environment. Um, that's yes, and a lot of companies are, and they don't realize it. Well, give us a give us a sense, Bryce, for really how big. I mean, you, these individual cases are scary enough. How big is the problem? What are we looking at in terms of U.S. or global economic loss as a result of of bad actors in the cyber world? In 2018, mm -hmm. it was estimated that a total of 1.5 trillion, with a T. Dollars. Yeah, Doctor Evil. Doctor Evil doesn't even go to trillion. That's that's impressive. No, no. So, fifteen hundred billion dollars were lost either in expense against cybersecurity, mm -hmm. in extortion or other means because of cybersecurity threats, mm -hmm. or from lost productivity due to these ransomware attacks or what have you. Yeah. So it's a colossal number. It's a number that moves the the gross product uh, output of the world as a whole. And regrettably, it's going to get worse before it gets better in all likelihood. Estimates, I think it was from Forbes, were that we're going to see over $5 trillion in total damages in the next five years. And I hope within five years we're over this hump and have things more under control. But it's going to take a whole lot of company education to understand the moves to make to make yourself more difficult to hack. Exactly. Well, I think the more we get that five trillion number out there, the more people will listen. It's mind boggling. And and, and what, what is disturbing most about that, not just the upfront economic loss, but the opportunity loss of all of that economic value just going away that could be directed towards more productive things like, oh, you know, construction. Let's 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 dive in. Let's dive into some more particulars and talk about, you know, these water boiling things, some of the more specific threats. And you certainly have mentioned several of the big ones. Um, uh, you know, ransomware, case in point, I would be shocked if we don't have many listeners right now who've experienced ransomware personally, unfortunately. Can you go over some of them, phishing, malware and, and, and what the differences are and the similarities, et cetera? Sure. Uh, let me start with ransomware. What happens with ransomware is this. Somehow, a bad actor gets access to your data. 
It could be on your local computer. It could be in a database somewhere. They typically get to it by convincing you to click on an email that you shouldn't. It's called business email compromise. Mm -hmm. And they put some sort of malicious file attached to an email and they trick you into clicking on it and then they have access to your machine. Mm -hmm. That's one big vector. Another are people that reuse the same usernames and passwords on multiple Mm -hmm. sites. Right. Yahoo has been breached. LinkedIn has been breached. That's how we found out that Mark Zuckerberg was using a password of da, da, da. So, <laughs> by yeah, the way, lis- listeners, if, he's probably changed it by now. Okay. He probably has. You know, it was interesting to see him using that. Uh, if I was Mark Zuckerberg, I would hire a guy who followed me. And his job was to change my passwords every single night. <laughs> and every morning, he hands me the list of passwords. And they're never the same another day. That being neither here nor there. Right. For people that do continue to reuse passwords, if you have a password you were using at Yahoo that got hacked or LinkedIn that got hacked or the site that we don't know about yet because it hasn't been made public. Uh-huh. Marriott was uh, hacked for four years and they didn't know about it until a few months ago. Oh, my goodness. So in those areas where you're reusing passwords, the bad guys can use that password to get into your system and encrypt your files. Right. So the way to deal with that is first, good password hygiene. Using different passwords to different sites is important. The second is something called multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. It's actually a lot easier than that big acronym sounds. Uh-huh. If you go to Google and you type in Facebook space MFA for multi-factor authentication, you'll find directions on how to use your smartphone as a second means of identifying you when you log into Facebook. So and you can do the same thing for your banking sites. Right. And you can do the same thing for LinkedIn. And turning on MFA goes a long way towards keeping these bad guys out. But nothing's perfect. These make you more secure, mm-hmm. not perfectly secure. Mm-hmm. So the single biggest thing you can do against ransomware is to back up your files somewhere in an offline repository. Right. It's hard to hack something sitting in a desk drawer that isn't hooked up to the internet. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm encouraging my clients to do quote unquote old school backups mm-hmm. onto a thumb drive, onto a portable hard drive, if you have mm-hmm. a lot of data, onto a tape. Right. And there are cloud services you could do this too as well, but it's awfully important to configure them so that an admin that has access to your production environment mm-hmm. does not have access to the backups. Because right. if that account gets compromised, the bad guys can delete them both, and right. now you're uh, you're at their whim. Yeah. So whether whether it is literally in your desk drawer or in a secure cloud location, it needs to be under your control, and your control only is the point. I I think you're making. So. Yes, um, and using a different account right. than you use for your production environment, so that one breach doesn't allow a bad guy to take out both. Yep. Exactly. That's the big defense against ransomware, Wayne. That's great. No, that's great. Great advice for everybody. What What is phishing? People get very confused in my experience about what phishing really is and how to defend against it. Um, can you Can you help us with that? Absolutely. So for some reason, computer people like to make up weird spellings of things. <laughs> so the kind of phishing we're talking about is not with a rod and reel. It is spelled P-H. I-S-H-I-N-G. And what it means is that you are looking for another person to take advantage of. You are going to send emails or even make malicious phone calls and say that you are from their computer company 
and that their computer has been phoning home to them saying it has a virus. Can they please come in and fix it? Mm-hmm. Well, what they're doing is convincing you to go to a site where they're going to encrypt your data. Right. So phishing is a way of tricking people. It will often be an email that says, your account has been locked. Please click here within 24 hours or it will be suspended and your data will be deleted. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not true. It's going to send you to a fake site that is asking you to type in your credentials. Mm. And then they're going to use those against you. That's a form of phishing. Right. There's a new one called spear phishing. And what that is is a much more targeted approach to go after somebody. So if you do a little bit of research on someone online, if you go to your LinkedIn profile, your mm-hmm. Facebook profile, mm-hmm. if they search public records, let's say, for example, that, Wayne, you are a big fan of the old band, The Monkees, and that you think that their music is top-notch, and I know that about you. So I could send you an email talking about how there's going to be a new Monkees World Tour, and that if you are one of the first 500 people to click here, you can get discounted tickets to front-row seats to the Monkees in your city. And I know your city because I did some research. Yeah, but but, but Bryce, Bryce, the real question here, the real question here is, are the monkeys really coming to Portland? I need to know this. <laughs> I have no idea, but Marty Dolan's a really nice guy. <laughs> uh, so the point is that this has become so lucrative yeah. that people are taking the time to do some research. Right. So they could send you an email or a phone call saying that your child or your grandchild mm-hmm. is in trouble mm. and they need a $1,500 bail to be able to get out of jail so they can make a phone call and call you. No, and this, can you please go to Western Union and do a money transfer? And la- people fall for that. Yeah, no, ladies and gentlemen, this happened to me. Someone called my poor, poor mother in New Jersey, One and, and they had found out I was traveling to Florida, and she knew I was. Uh, they called her and said, your, your, your son's been, been in a bad accident and immediately needs $2,000 uh, wired down to him. Now, what they didn't realize is my mother said, yeah, he's got plenty of money. He'll be fine. Uh, didn't work in that case, but I was <laughs> on the receiving end. So if your mother loves you folks, you don't have that defense. Sorry, mom, I do love you. All right. So no, I, I, I've been on the receiving end. It's, it's scary and fascinating when you see this happening to yourself. What are some of the defenses against phishing, Bryce? Are, are, are there any technology defenses against this, or is it just common sense? A lot of it is common sense, especially with spear phishing. A couple of things that I will, uh, I'll go over here. If anyone is sending you an offer that seems a little shady, mm-hmm. where you have to do something not quite illegal, but maybe a little unethical, that kind of thing, it is likely a scam. Right. If someone sends you an email saying they have videos or other information of you visiting adult content online, Mm -hmm. of you cheating on your spouse, Mm -hmm. of you stealing from your company, something else, it is likely a scam. 99% of those emails are looking for someone who may have actually done that. They don't have any evidence that you did, but they're hoping that you'll pay up to keep them quiet. The whole thing's a scam. Mm-hmm. If anyone is sending you an email asking you to go get gift cards from Best Buy, from iTunes, especially if they want you to scratch off the codes on the back after you buy them and send mm-hmm. them a picture, mm-hmm. that is a scam every time. There are no exceptions. Sure. Another big one is wire transfers. Ah, yeah. And for anyone in the finance department of your construction company listening in on this, 
I strongly recommend a policy where wire transfers are forbidden without a specific phone call being made to someone that you are on a first name basis with that has the ability to authorize it. Sure. No emails ever to authorize wire transfers. No emails ever to change bank account numbers. Mm-hmm. Those are very common phishing areas. Yeah, yeah. So those are some of the common sense ones. Beyond that, there are a lot of good utilities that you can use to help separate out much of the noise from these cyber criminals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am a fan of Gmail's suite of uh, email products. Mm-hmm. They do a good job filtering that out. And you can buy for a very small fee uh, services from Google to host your particular account. So mm-hmm. mine is BryceAustin.com, and I have Google as my back end. And their filters really do pull out most of the junk email that gets to me that could otherwise be a business email compromise. Right. That can be very helpful for your employees. So, Bryce, one aspect of data security I wanted to bring up uh, involves cloud, cloud computing. Uh, more and more software, you know, the majority, the vast majority of software is being delivered now through you know, cloud-based services. Typically, subscription-based software is now the way you know, we're, we're getting our applications. What implications does that have for security? How does that change the landscape of cybersecurity for us? This, this cloud computing, should we, should we be less or more concerned or, or no change? What's your take on that? Uh, The differences are huge. They are more positive than negative, but there are both. So moving things into the cloud goes in one of two directions. One is where you're simply buying a service from a cloud provider. Mm -hmm. This is what Salesforce provides. This is what Facebook provides. Mm -hmm. This is what ServiceNow provides. In these areas, your obligation is to first understand how your company could function without the service. Mm because the service could go down. It's conceivable the internet could go down. And if it does, how do you function without it? But the second area is your users need to have good password policies. Mm -hmm. They need to turn on multi-factor authentication wherever possible. They need to understand the level of sensitivity of the data in those systems. And Facebook is the perfect example. I use it often. And if I'm putting something out to the public as a means of an advertisement, it doesn't matter who sees it. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting out something very sensitive, talking to a few close loved ones, maybe a phone call is a much better choice. Because mm-hmm. if Facebook gets hacked, do I really want that data out there? Right. So that's the first scenario, is using cloud as a service. Mm-hmm. The good news is that almost all of the other cybersecurity concerns, patching your systems, making sure that you do penetration tests, vetting your employees on the other end of this service, you're passing those obligations over to the cloud services provider. Right. The same way you do when you buy a new car or a new piece of construction equipment, mm-hmm. you are assuming the person you bought it from, like Caterpillar, is taking it upon themselves to make sure the product is safe. Right. The other part of cloud services is where you are buying an infrastructure. And this is uh, Azure, Microsoft Azure is one choice. Mm-hmm. Amazon's is AWS, or Amazon Web Services. Those are the two big guns in this infrastructure as a service. Right. These are not problematic in that the core infrastructure is very secure. In fact, there are government agencies using these cloud services to store active criminal information Mm -hmm. about ongoing investigations that cross 
county, state, and federal lines. It's called CJIS, or the Criminal Justice Information System. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of information where if it gets out, witnesses disappear. These are life safety incidents. So mm -hmm. the cloud can be made secure. Yeah. Here's the problem. If you don't educate your programmers and your database administrators, mm -hmm. your developers, mm -hmm. about how to secure the cloud, they can easily click a button that opens up a database to be available to anyone on the internet. Right. And breach after breach after breach is happening because people aren't educated as to how to properly secure the cloud. Right, right. This is the equivalent of being in a car, going 100 miles an hour, with no seatbelt on, and then opening the doors just to see what'll happen. Yeah, what I would argue that? it's even worse. It's, it's being in a car, going 100 miles, doing what you said, but also not really being a great driver because that's not your core competency. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what I see so much is that, yeah, people will subscribe to cloud-based services, but you know, are, are you, do you really understand what you're doing? And if you're trying to secure your own data, not rely on, on the, the, the baked in security protocols of, of cloud you know, service providers, like you mentioned, then you got to do it yourself. You got to drive that race car yourself. And I hope you know how, right? Um, and I, oh my gosh, I have, um, I've seen some stories involving USB drives and disgruntled employees and unlocked server rooms. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, which, yeah, right. There is a second piece to this, though. Yeah. That first group of areas, mm -hmm. knowing how to keep databases from showing up on the Internet in open format, mm -hmm. those are important training areas. Right. So if you have an idea of moving your infrastructure to the cloud, I recommend you pursue it. I think it's a good idea, as long as your budget includes training sessions for your teams to understand how. Right. The second area of cloud security is that your server room lane, it's a great analogy, if the only way to get to your servers physically mm -hmm. is to go through a secure building and mm -hmm. then lock doors for your server room and there mm -hmm. are video cameras in front of them, mm -hmm. that's a very low risk. The yeah. odds of someone trying to do that maliciously are very, very small. Right. Up in the cloud, your admin console to be able to turn servers on and off, to set up the backups, to delete the servers mm -hmm. and delete the backups, mm -hmm. that's all up in the cloud. It's called your admin portal. That admin portal is only as secure as the usernames, the passwords, and the multi-factor authentication solutions that you choose to put in front of it. Right. If you want to do a Google search for a company called Code Spaces, Code Spaces, mm -hmm. you will find a number of articles from 2014 about how they went from a very viable company to bankrupt in 14 hours because someone got a hold of the admin credentials for their Amazon Web Services cloud. And it wasn't Amazon's fault. These guys didn't have multi-factor authentication turned on. Mm -hmm. They likely weren't using strong passwords, or if they were, they were reusing them somewhere else. Right. A bad guy got a hold of them, demanded money. Well, Codespaces didn't want to pay, so the bad guys deleted the servers, which actually in the cloud isn't that bad a thing. You can just build new ones and stick the disks back on, and they work right. again. Right. Right. benefits of the cloud. Right. Well, Codespaces didn't pay. So then the bad guys deleted the disks. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're in a bit of trouble. You have to restore from backup. And this is time consuming. And they were going to be down at least a few days at this point. Right. And Codespaces still didn't want to pay. So the bad guys deleted the backups oh, that were boy. also available via the same admin portal. And now the company's bankrupt. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They and, didn't and have offline backups. And they didn't have a secure admin console. And if they'd done those things, 
your Amazon Web Services solution would have been more secure than yeah. 99% of any on-premise solution they could have had. That's really a tragic story. Better, yeah. they, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, because it be, because the effort required to protect against it was minimal. But but yet the the damage as as we as we've heard terrible. So in in moving to the cloud, like everything, if you do it intelligently, it is you know it is a net positive. It is an advance. It's you know it's access anywhere you want, uh, through any virtually any type of connected device to the data you need. That's all great, but it does require some thoughtful consideration around security. So hopefully everyone learned a bit about that here today. Now, regarding technology and this continual advancement, cloud computing is is more or less established, I'd say, if I don't think I'm being too controversial in saying I think we're finally I, over I the agree with that. there, right? But but now we have new technologies and the exposure they present potentially. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about well, Internet of Things, for example, which is becoming more and more important in construction. More and more devices are connected to the internet from heavy equipment down to, you know, into, you know, even small pieces of tools and equipment. So do new technologies such as Internet of Things, IoT, present new uh, security risks that we need to be aware of or, or that we're exposed to in a dangerous way? They present risk and opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you take a device and you hook it up to the internet, it means that you could monitor or control that device from anywhere. If you had a construction site in some location well below freezing, and your foreman's office, one of those containers, you know, sitting out front, mm -hmm. if you put an alarm in there saying if the temperature drops below freezing, I want to know about it, mm -hmm. you could save yourself tens of thousands of dollars in days of downtime sure. from keeping water pipes from bursting, you know, what have you. Yeah. So that's the upside. And I'm a fan of the IoT because it has a lot of very good practical use cases that are very beneficial. Mm -hmm. The trouble is, if that same alerting device has a username of user and a password of the word password, mm -hmm. then it's going to get hacked. Yep. And if it was a thermostat, for example, well, that can be used in a lot of malicious ways. Mm -hmm. If you turn off a thermostat, you can freeze your pipes. If you turn up a thermostat, it's possible if you had pets living there, you could kill the pets. Right. But even worse, most of these smart thermostats have motion sensors in them. So they turn the heat down or the AC up when you're not there right. and then fix it when you are there and they learn your patterns. Well, that means much like Santa Claus, they know when you've been sleeping and they know when you're awake. <laughs> and if the bad guys know when you're gone, they know where to come rip you off. They know when a good time to do that is. Right, right. So there have been good examples and bad examples of the IoT. The question is knowing what is the value of the IoT device and does that value outweigh the risk sure. that, that it presents. One of the most interesting examples recently was one that wasn't hooked up to the internet. The internet hooked up ones are the big problem mm -hmm. because back to putting the world in the head of a pin, anyone can try to hack a device facing the internet. But Bluetooth devices or devices controlled by a physical remote control, kind of mm -hmm. like an old remote control car, you yeah. know, or RC plane, that type of thing. Any type of RF. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's becoming a bigger and bigger technology because it's so incredibly useful in construction. Mm -hmm. You know, the person operating the crane in the bed of the crane often has the worst view of what that person is doing. Mm -hmm. What you want is someone on top of the building who is able to help the crane pick up the air conditioner, move it on top of the building, drop it in place. And remote control allows that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there was a very recent study that came out of someone that looked at the security of those systems, mm-hmm. and they found that most of the manufacturers in this space had less security built into their remote controls than the average garage door opener. Oh, my goodness. So it was really amazing. So what the bad, well, these are actually white hat hackers, which means they were trying to help us be more secure right, looking right. for vulnerabilities. Right. What they did is they got out the equivalent of a tape recorder. It just records RF signals mm-hmm. in between two devices. Mm-hmm. And they learned the language that the remote control tries to talk to the crane. Yep. And then they waited for the crane operator to shut off his remote control. And then they turned on theirs and had it mimic the same signals. Oh my goodness. And there was no authentication. There was no security. So they were able to start manipulating these large pieces of heavy equipment with something that would have taken $500 and a kid in uh, his mom's basement to figure out how to do. Oh my goodness. I hope, I hope these companies take that to heart and the people making these start putting in a level of security so that you have to have the correct remote to be able to manipulate the device, right. not any remote out there that can mimic the language. Sure, sure. Uh, but these examples represent genuine life safety threats. So the IoT is not something to be scared of, but it's sure something to be educated about before you dive in. Well, you know, like with with great power comes great responsibility, right? And as our technologies give us more power, the ability to control things, the ability to be remote, but be present, um, it, it behooves all of us to stop, pause, celebrate the fantastic advances that we're benefiting from, but consider how to protect ourselves against the negative side of them. I, I think that's just the important lesson in general, but uh, because I think we'd all agree that having this remote control capability on our job sites is, is key to the increase, you know, to keeping productivity moving uh, in a positive direction. Imagine what could go wrong if um, if malicious hackers had grabbed hold of some of your heavy equipment on a job site. I, I don't want to even imagine that. Uh, so um, that that that's an incredible story, and hopefully one that everyone here takes to heart because you know it's only a matter of time until we are all dealing with the IoT and other technologies that can't even imagine yet, folks. So. Uh, now, Bryce, I warned you. I warned you about this. You still agreed to do this podcast. I told you about the chicken. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the discussion about the chicken we talked? Yeah, you do. All right, you're going to pretend do. like, yeah, okay, you do. Good. All right, well, the chicken's here. The chicken's waiting for this nugget. Uh, I know that sounds a little odd, but but Bryce, you, you have one nugget to give our audience, correct? One thing that if they remember nothing else, that's what they're going to take away from this. Do you have this ready, sir? I do. Okay, good. All right. Chicken's ready. Multi- All right. All right, Bryce. Multi-factor authentication is the closest thing to a magic bullet that we have against cyber criminals. There are three ways to tell a computer that you are who you claim to be. Mm-hmm. One is something that you know that most people wouldn't know, like a password. Mm-hmm. The second is something that you have. Like, for example, your car key. Sure. Or for those that used to be in financial services, those RSA key fobs. Or nowadays, your smartphone. Right. The third way is something you are, like a fingerprint, like a facial recognition scan. Mm-hmm. What MFA says is pick two. Pick two of those things mm-hmm. to authenticate yourself to a computer. Right. And it makes the bad guys have to work a lot harder. Prior to cell phones, well, smartphones, I should say, Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of good, easy, user-friendly options. 
for MFA or multi-factor right. authentication. Right. And now there are. Yeah. Now there are. You yeah. install an application called Authenticator. Microsoft makes one. Google makes one. And when you log in to an account that has MFA enabled, mm -hmm. the first time you do it from a new computer, your phone is going to bring up a little pop-up. I see you're trying to log in from a new computer. Is that really you? Yes or no? Right. If you hit yes, it lets you in. Yeah. And then it fingerprints the computer you used. So the computer becomes the quote-unquote something you have authentication type, and it won't bother you for another month on your phone. If it's not you, well, then it will not let the bad guy in, and now you know to change your password. Mm -hmm. Someone else has a hold of it. Mm -hmm. It is not a magic bullet, but it's as close as we've got in cybersecurity today. In the construction industry, there are many, many companies that need occasional legal advice, and they have an attorney on retainer. Right. They need part-time accounting. And much like me, I have a part-time accountant that helps me be successful with taxes and with filings because that's not my expertise. Right. I don't see as many companies taking advantage of cybersecurity and technology expertise hmm. from outside third parties mm -hmm. that have a specific job of helping keeping that company safe. Mm -hmm. There are mm -hmm. a lot of people trying to sell companies a specific product, and if you only sell that product, it's like being a hammer salesman. Mm -hmm. When you sell nothing but hammers, the number of nail-shaped problems you run into becomes astonishingly high. <laughs> I'd like to... In I like to encourage companies to consider having a cybersecurity coach and a technology coach to be able to help them be successful in this space. Mm -hmm. They need an advocate because mm -hmm. it is a complex and ever-changing landscape. Sure, absolutely. Just like you, you know, if you do not have a core competency in accounting or in, you know, managing large fleets of equipment, but you're running a company that needs that, you bring that competency in, you find it. This is clearly an area where you know, very few of us have the level of competency needed to to protect ourselves, to survive in this uh, in, in this data landscape. So uh, it behooves all of us to consider that uh, when we are plan doing our business planning, consider data as a invaluable resource that you should have a plan to protect. Uh, Bryce, I want to thank you so much. Um, I know that this is a giant topic and we've just really skimmed across the top of it. So I want to encourage anyone who wants more information on cybersecurity, on protecting your data in, uh, in today's environment, ever-changing environment, reach out. You can contact uh, Bryce at TCE Strategy. Bryce, uh, do you have a website that you'd like to share with everybody that's not uh, 5,000 letters long? I do. TCE stands for Technology and Cybersecurity Education. My website is www.tcestrategy.com. There you go, folks. www.tcestrategy.com. Uh, Bryce, once again, sir, thank you very much for sharing your expertise on this vitally important topic to our industry. We appreciate you. Hope to see you on the road, by the way, when Viewpoint will be on the road all year long, 30 cities, roadshows.viewpoint.com folks check it out we're coming to a city near you and chances are mr bryce austin will be joining us so bryce thank you sir again see you on the road thank you for the opportunity Wayne. take care folks thanks for joining us today and we hope you enjoyed the show check back for new podcasts at viewpoint.com or on the same channel craving more thought leadership pieces check out our viewpoint surveyor blog at blog.viewpoint.com which is updated several times per week with the latest news, industry best practices, and much more.